All right, uh, this is a song, uh, song for the Sabbath, a song for Sunday, Psalm 92. Uh, a few months ago, uh, Canada lost one of its well-known artists, uh, Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, I'm quite sure that even though some of us may not want to admit it, uh, his music has in one way or another entered into our private lives. Perhaps it was a black day in July depicting the turbulence of some U.S. cities in the 1960s. Or early morning rain uh, depicting, uh, telling the story of Whitefoot as a young parent in L.A. visiting the airport, watching the big 707s and uh, pining for the happier, hippier days of Yorkville or even singing in the church choir in Aurelia, Ontario. Who cannot but relate to the love and romance found in his songs, uh, Beautiful, Did She Mention My Name, or The Last Time I Saw Her. On that same topic, the more realistic and poignant stories of love lost and divorce, which are told in his number one hits, uh, Sundown, and If You Could Read My Mind. Finally, there's the unspoken pride found in the now iconic great Canadian ballads, uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, the great Canadian railroad trilogy, and uh, the more folksy Alberta Bound. Gordon Lightfoot's legacy and fame rest in the simple fact that he is both a great musician and a storyteller. In fact, the great Bob Dylan gave testimony that Gordon Lightfoot was both an inspiration and one of the greatest songwriters of our era. And what is it about this artistic genre that makes it it's so central to our own being? Well, a song is a unique combination of spoken word and music that sticks in our minds. Moreover, our souls. We associate songs readily with both past and current circumstance. The lyrics and their meaning resonate with us personally because we as ordinary people can identify uh, with them. Hence all of the uh, frenzy about uh, uh, Taylor Swift coming to our city in what, uh, 16 months or so? Um, Moreover, um, a song is a musical poem, and there's power not just in the melody, but with the nature of the literary genre. A poem is something not to be lectured upon. A poem is something that you can't really capture with elongated prose. A poem is a form that is able, with economy of words, to communicate the deepest of human experiences. Love, hate, anger, bitterness, joy, and ecstasy. Now, how exactly is this accomplished? Poetry is truly miraculous in its nature. And I learned this uh, from my uh, brother-in-law, who, while at U of T, was studying English literature, and I was studying engineering, and I thought I knew a lot more about knowledge than he did, but... In the end, I think he won the day as we were talking on such things. In the wisdom of gods, um, humans have developed language. Through either writing of symbols on a page or the audible formation of sounds in one's larynx, 
There's the idea that human thought can be represented and communicated. Ideas which reside um, in chemicals and electrical pulses in one's brain get encoded into words by which someone else reads or hears. Through these symbols or audible patterns and a knowledge of the same language, human communication is accomplished. As a result, similar or even greater feelings and ideas come to life into the receptor's brain. There's the handshake, uh, a timeless resonance with the song, with the poem, with the music between the creator and the reader or the listener. It's not surprising then that God has left for us in the Bible large sections which are of this very same genre. It makes sense that for many readers, the Psalms are the most well-worn pages in their Bibles. I haven't done the reference, but I would, I'm pretty sure that of all of the quotations found in the New Testament of the Old, they're taken from the book of Psalms. This morning we're going to be looking at one of these songs which we find in Psalm 92. A song for the Sabbath. A song that God had intended uh, to be sung uh, week after week, year after year, from one generation to another, such that the thoughts of the author, whoever that may be, come into our being. Once again, or <laughs> my way of thinking, once again, this is a supernatural and miraculous occurrence that an ancient poet thoughts and feelings about God, which were genuine, are now through this process that we're going through right now of reading and listening, um, some of us writing, we are now getting the same experience that that person had. Before we start, I want to give a very mild disclaimer of personal bias. When I read poetry or listen to songs, my brain tends to react more on one side than the other. That is analytical rather than emotional. Thought rather than feeling. However, when one reads poetry, one can't always use one's theological, systematic, logical mind as an overarching framework. This approach will inevitably lead one to a position of confusion. Uh, perhaps even doubt. If one were to compare, for example, one psalm with another, you would begin to see some significant contradictions. In the one, the, the wicked are prospering, and the psalmist is angry. In another psalm, perhaps by the very same author, the wicked are getting their due, and the psalmist is loving it. However that may rest with us, both are true. Both reflect the feeling of what it means to be human and to be in communion with an infinite and loving God. So I'm going to invite all of us to enter into one such emotional, thoughtful expression that's intended for us on the first or last day of the week. 
Psalm 92. I'll be reading this from the English Standard Version that has the subtitle, which probably is not inspired, uh, How Great Are Your Works? Psalm 92. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! <clears throat> your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox, or of the King James a bit better, the unicorn. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen. So just before we start, I know that I'm not supposed to be too analytical about responding to or trying to explain a song or a poem, but I am interested in meaning, and I do look for clues to find out what exactly the author is trying to say. The whole, the whole uh, field of hermeneutics, which is trying to get to the meaning of the text, is really important. And so I at least try to use part of my brain to at least get some guidelines. It's a good idea whenever we approach any piece of literature, even that being a letter or a diary, to, uh, that we look at its form. In this particular case, we have a Hebrew song. We know nothing about the notes or the music, but um, it is of a certain poetic form. Their songs had form, their poetry had substance to it. One of the mechanisms used in such a genre is called uh, parallelism. We use it sort of as well. That is to say that the author makes a statement in one phrase, A, 
whatever that is. And then following directly, there's another sentence which generally is saying the same thing. So if you're a mathematician, A prime, A, A prime. Or if you're a logician, it could be the opposite, A, non-A. Just kind of for emphasis, just to add a little bit of, I guess, style and panache to what one is trying to say. It's clear from this song, for example, that in verse 2, the author wants to declare God's steadfast love in the morning and then declare uh, his faithfulness in the evening. Or looking at verse 7, uh, the wicked are sprouting like grass and the evildoers are flourishing. These are two ways of saying the same thing. And as we read and consider this psalm together, I do not want any of my wooden thoughts to impede perhaps your better understanding of poetry, or even with what the Spirit may be saying to you. This is a supernatural thing we're doing now, whether you believe it or not. The Spirit's at work. We are His creatures made in His image, and He does supernatural things through words, through Jesus, who's the divine logo. So I don't want any of my stuff, my sin, my misunderstanding, my personality, whatever it is, my bald pate, whatever. I don't want any of that to get in the way of us getting what the Spirit wants to say to us. So I will speak in somewhat of an extemporaneous way and hopefully try to at least remind myself and maybe all of us of what I think are some of the, just the main ideas in this ancient, that the ancient songwriter wanted us to know and to remember. All right, so if you don't remember anything else I say, just remember this, I think I've got this one right. The main idea of the psalm is found simply and obviously at the very beginning. It's a good thing to give thanks. It's a good thing to give thanks to God. It's a good thing even to sing songs to God. It's a good thing to do it in the morning. It's a good thing to do it at night. It's a good thing to express thanks in some creative way. Perhaps with a musical instrument. Perhaps that instrument is your own voice. It goes without saying that, in general, giving thanks is a good thing. On every level, secular research from uh, psychology and sociology demonstrate that it is far healthier for us to be thankful about our lives than to be bitter, than to complain, or to be critical. Um, Albert, did we want these slides here? No? Okay, fine. That's all right. Um, just the fact of humans giving thanks is a good thing. Much more giving thanks to God who is our creator. I don't think I need to say anything more about that, except that 
If you are uh, like myself and find that you naturally are critical, um, you're naturally one to complain, you're naturally one to, uh, to protest, you're naturally one to be cynical, or you're naturally one to be negative. If you find yourself in that state or frame of mind, it's good, at least on a weekly basis, uh, to remember that giving thanks in all things is thoroughly biblical. It's found throughout the Old Testament and the Gospels and in the writing of the Apostles. And it's, it's just good for you. It should be equally clear to all of us as well that the whole idea of giving thanks assumes a relationship, logically. It assumes that we're giving thanks to someone about something. Even though much of the world does not believe in God, or the God of the Bible, certainly not Jesus, and, and they does not believe in a personal God, they still find time to be thankful, which is not logical, but it is a good thing. Much more, much more, those who are followers of Jesus and claim to have, as evangelicals do, a personal relationship with the Creator and Redeemer of the world. If that's your confession, then giving thanks is the most natural thing that you should do. And how we do it uh, is important. On a little side note, I noticed when I first became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, from being, a, being someone who was not following God or didn't want to really follow God, I noticed that when Christians were praying out loud, as evangelicals often do, and because my mind is analytical, it didn't seem like they were talking to a person. For example, um, James. Well, James, you know, I really like being at your place last night, and James, you know, it was really great that all your friends were, and James, you know, that there was that rabbit and back thing, and James. So, for example, we don't keep using someone's name as a placeholder. That's one thing. And there's a lot of things. I'm, I'm only saying this because if we are giving thanks to God, and we believe God's a person, then talking to God should be not unlike how we talk to each other. Not unlike. Maybe not the same. Perhaps even if you were able to wake up like I was and find that you're still alive, as I did, and able to utilize your five senses to engage the wonderful world around you, like I was, well, that's a good thing. And it's good to tell God about that. Perhaps the fact that, uh, I'm just giving a few simple examples of things for which we should be thankful to God. Perhaps that you have others around you, a friends or family, uh, who are able to help you along the way. Perhaps that your heart and mind are open and engaged to listen by the Spirit to Jesus, the Logos, God's message to the world. 
been a burden of mine since God called me that all around me, in, our, in my city, there just seems so many people who are oblivious to the idea that God is the creator and redeemer of the world. And that fact, that living reality of Jesus being resurrected and the spirit being alive, and it means nothing, that kind of blows my mind. And that somehow my brain was meant to go in a different direction. And I'm still on that beat, as hard as it is. The psalmist is thankful for what is described as uh, work or works. Yeah, I think you have to skip over these slides. Here we go. Thank you. Um, I wish the author was a bit more specific, but one can assume that God's great acts of creation and redemption and salvation are in mind. Um, here are some slides of God's creation. Uh, I got on my bike today. I just short hop over here to church. I looked up. Blue sky, cirrus clouds, uh, the, the uh, uh, waning gibbous moon was kind of just about to set sort of in the west. Uh, wherever I go, um, God's creation is just teeming with life. It's just, uh, I guess, I don't know. As a designer, have you ever tried to design anything? Have you ever tried it? Have you ever tried to be an artist just for a day? Well, it's not easy. It's hard work. Have you ever tried to write a song? It's not easy. That's why some people are good at it and some people aren't, and they, and they become famous and rich. But God's creation is everywhere. It can be seen by everyone. We have all kinds of mechanisms now where we can explore it. The color, the beauty, the simplicity. Um, I assume that was part of the work that the psalmist is talking about. Or maybe the great acts that God did on their behalf. Armies that were miraculously saved from Sennacherib, David fighting the giants, uh, all kinds of these, these great Sunday school stories, the great works of God were most likely on their mind when God was leading them, you know, by day, by the cloud, and by fire, by night, and, and the manna, and all of those things. The songs of redemption, and, and um, yeah, um, if you've ever had a chance to read Ruth, well, it's a great little story. It's tucked in your Bible. It's short. It's poignant. Uh, read it again and read it again. It, I get choked up every time because the, because the climax is this woman who's had a hard life and people are dying and she's got no hope and her husband dies and her father-in-law dies and she's a Moabite and yeah, she's, she's, she's just, yeah, she's a desperate single immigrant with no hope and meets a person who takes an interest in her. And there's a, and there's a catch though. The person who wants to help her out has to go through a legal thing and 
what had happened is that the person who should have taken care of her couldn't because she was she cost too much money he didn't want to redeem her he couldn't afford the liability of taking her on yeah it's like us if we want to help the world if we want to help the single mothers of our city it's costly to take them into your house and to feed them and to take after, look after their children and to educate them and all of that it cost a great deal but there was a man who actually did that i'll do what he said if you can't you just pass over and i will do it and so the idea about being in a a difficult place with no hope and then getting justice and getting forgiveness and getting liberty that is so hardwired in the human psyche i guess that it still makes sense to us and i think that was one of the works that this almost is talking about which ultimately is found at the cross All of these things are things for which the lamb of God at the end of the age on the throne as seen in the book of the revelation is worthy of the works worthy are you o lord our god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god from every tribe and language and people and nation and you've made them a kingdom of priests to our god and they shall reign on the earth worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing once again this is a song a poem and intention is to make us think and feel a certain way and respond in action we are in a relationship with the living god and giving thanks to him should be part of our weekly and daily cadence i'll just i'll say it again it can't be wooden it can't be it can't be like a formula it can't be made up if it is it's fake and it doesn't mean anything in fact it's insulting to god before leaving this idea of being thankful for the works of god it's clear that this can't be done uh, quickly it just can't be done in an instant way or in any perfunctory manner why not well because according to the psalmist uh this is a deep 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 subject that's why it's a little slide of the titanic and uh basically how deep it fell before it hit the bottom of the ocean relative those are in meters because i believe in metric since 1965 um and these is these are sort of relative distances upside down how far things can uh, can go in the water so this is a deep topic it's just your redemption my redemption is a deep topic and as a person who's interested in pastorally helping people and helping myself 
so much about our redemption I don't think we get. We miss, we miss it. Simple example. Happens to me all the time. Someone I love, friend or family, says something about me or to me. And it hurts. It hurts me. I feel offended. I do. I get hurt by that. And that person doesn't know that they've hurt me, doesn't ask for an apology, and I go away, and I might be in a funk for an hour, a day, or a week. It happens all the time. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. It happens. That's the reality of my life as someone redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, according to the Spirit, that thing that someone said about me, about Russ, well, it was wrong, wasn't it? Oh, sure it was wrong. And I felt offended because, you know, I've got a reputation. I've got, like, I've got a, I've got status. I've got, I've got all of the stuff that I've built up. Russ has built A, B, C, D, E, and someone is actually lying about Russ. And, but just wait. Paul says, Russ, Russ, who are you defending? What is it about Russ that's worthy for you to defend? I thought all that died. I thought everything you thought was good about yourself, your character or whatever, your intelligence, whatever it is, all of that stuff, Russ, that's the flesh. Do you know that? That's the flesh. Why are you, def- do, you, do, you get, do you know where I'm going with this point? I'm hurt and angry. But the thing I'm trying to defend actually is the thing I gave up when Christ saved me. There's nothing to defend. Nothing about me to defend. Everything I am, I am in Christ. So if you want to take a strip off him, okay. Well, he's going to deal with that. So this is a deep, the work of God in creation and redemption just is massively, massively deep. As good as it is to give thanks to God, and as rich of a human experience it is to ponder and respond to the miraculous works of God in Christ by the Spirit, in creation, revelation, providence, and redemption, the natural man has no idea of what this is all about. Read the poetic words to describe such persons. Not my words. I wouldn't use them, but the psalmist does. Foolish, stupid, ignorant. Worse than all of that, such persons in their natural state tend towards evil and wickedness and are doomed to destruction. They are enemies, at least towards God, and their downfall and doom are predicted. In due time, they will be scattered and eventually they will perish. This is not exactly the good life which tends to be advertised in our society at every level and on a regular basis. Knowing all of this, how does that make you feel or think? Does it overwhelm you? Does it make you want to go out and watch the public execution? Is the vengeance of God something that you relish in? 
Personally speaking, uh, this is bad news. It doesn't make me feel comfortable at all, thinking about uh, my friends, uh, my family, my workmates, my relatives, and my neighbors. It does motivate me at times, in a small way, uh, to reach out, to reach out in some way to people, any way I can, uh, with the good news found only in Jesus. That's why I'm so careful when I'm inviting people to come and see Jesus, that they're not going to come in and see all of the filth and selfishness and the pride and all of the things that I claim that God has saved me from. Did you get that? I'm very aware that my life is a, is a, uh, it's a loudspeaker, first to my wife, then to my kids, then to my neighbors, then to my workplace. If I'm inviting them to come and taste and see the Lord's good, I want to make sure that I'm demonstrating as best I can the new life in Christ that I claim is going to be good for them. The psalmist has a different reaction to the fall of the wicked. Rather than focusing on them in a negative way, um, we are given the positive contrast of the person who's thankful and in communion with God. We are to think of, this is the psalmist's image, not mine. We are to think of a courageous and confident animal who was full and secure in the strength obtained by, from someone else supercharged. There's the horn which symbolizes exaltation. Uh, there's the reminder of the ancient practice of being anointed with oil. It's not something we do very much, but it's a thing. Uh, oil, a rich, fragrant, refreshing, uh, maybe gelato might be the only thing I could think of going out and just getting into it, and showing us a place of special honor and privilege. That's, these are the images that the psalmist has about responding uh, to the wicked. As is common in the Psalms, uh, here we read imagery of trees, uh, palm trees and uh, cedars, which flourish year after year, often much longer than the span of a single human life. These living objects, moreover, flourish. They are planted by the king in the king's garden and receive all that is needed for producing much fruit, even in old age. Now, I think Allison's left the building, I think, so I can say something about her garden, but she takes great pride in her garden. It's been a great summer for the garden, and this year, as in other years, the Leaside Garden Society goes around and, you know, looks and then puts a little sign, you know, Allison's garden. But think of a garden that the king this is his garden. He's got the best of everything. This is the imagery. The Brits are good at gardens. Royalty is good. Just, it's an amazing image. That this is, this is what the psalmist, this is how he thinks about himself. He thinks about what a person should be like who is in communion with God and is giving thanks. 
In fact, such ancient objects appear to be youthful. They're still blossoming, they're still blooming, they're still giving out their fragrance. And the color and the flowers followed by the fruit. If you've ever been around a fruit tree, a peach tree, uh, mango, if you've ever been um, figs, just, just go to France and just sit under a fig tree and just get a sense of what the psalmist was trying to say. It's so sensual. It's just, it's just so fulfilling. Even when you're old like me. That's the image. You see, as you get old, you get crustier and fewer people care about you and you start looking a bit decrepit. And, and, but not, that's not the image here at all. In the end, there's only one thing that matters. There's only one worker, one redeemer, one judge, one gardener, one rewarder who is worthy of thanksgiving and praise. There's only one person who is our rock-solid reference point and foundation. We know him to be Jesus of Nazareth, the only Son of God, begotten by the Father, sent by the Spirit, full of grace and truth, upright, without sin. Give thanks to God. Praise Him on a Sunday. Praise Him every day. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him at the end of the day. Praise Him for His steadfast love and faithfulness. Praise Him with your voice. Praise Him with your hands. Praise Him with your entire life. Don't be discouraged looking around and seeing people who are oblivious to God and seem to be prospering. Delight yourself in the energy life and longevity of fellowship with God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A little bit of time. I'm going to tell a little story about this place that you're sitting in right now. Because for me, this, this is it. This is my this is the nexus. This is the crux of what I believe, for me, what it means to be thankful in Christ is all about. The building that you're sitting here represents 75 years of men and women coming weekly to remember that there's only one person in the universe who's worthy of praise. See that up there? In all things, he preeminence. There's only one peak. There's only one Everest, and that's the Lord Jesus. And for 75 years, people have been coming here. See these, you can't see them now, but it used to be when we didn't have enough money and, and the walls didn't get painted, you could actually see the, uh, the, the cinder blocks under there. And Well, that's important because this is an addition. You know that. This, this church is the addition, the big, the big thing. Before, it was just that upper room there, you know, the little thing, the stairs, the nursery, the washrooms, that was the initial thing. And then people wanted to expand the work of the gospel. So, so families, think about, now, now remember, this is, this is 75 years ago. People went to the bank, remortgaged their property, you got that? 
to raise capital so that people could build this building. And of course, you know, as the church went on, then you got paid back. But people were willing to sacrifice at least some of their possessions to build this place. And this is, this is, this is my place. This is my home here. You are my family. You, you, those of you who live by me, that's great. Some of you have been in my little community group. You're really my family. I've got to know you and pray with you and learn about you, and then you have learned about me. And uh, my wife, she's 66 now. She was born here. John Ferguson. There are a few people here who were there near the beginning. All right? And so this is the church. You got that? This is God's work. This is his main thing. And we are a representation of it. And this is the thing. Everything else. Taylor Swift, CIO, doesn't matter what you're doing in life. This is the thing. And this has been going for 75 years. And then before that, things were going on. In other words, God's been doing his work with this church all of these years. And I've had the privilege of being part of maybe in my 50 years of being saved, Little churches, we met in a little public school out in Scarborough, G.P. Mackey, just in the library, and we broke bread, and we had a Sunday school, and we met in, in, in people's living rooms, and then this is what God is doing in our world. This is, this is the mechanism, and you can be part of it. I hope you are part of it. I hope you see this as your life work. It's being part of this local church as long as you're here and be thankful for it because this, is, this thing is going to keep going on. Are you going to be the Dwight and the Allison and John Ferg who've, meaning are you going to be here in 30, 40, 50 years? I hope so. I hope so. And that this community around here that's going to be just dense with with who knows what of condominiums and stores and all kinds of new people from all over the world, the gospel is going to be going out to those people because of you, because of your life, because of what God has done for you and you wanted to be thankful, so you came on the regular and did the boring thing of meeting with a lot of weird people who you don't maybe agree with or are weird and all that stuff, the dynamic of the church. You don't get to pick your family, do you? your parents or your siblings. You don't get to pick your children. The only one you get to pick maybe is your spouse, and you know how difficult that can be. The church is like that. You don't get to pick who comes in these doors, do you? At all. That's the beauty of it. Because the Spirit is working among us. Christ is everything. Christ transcends culture, transcends economics, transcends politics, transcends race, transcends gender, all of that. And he has decided that he wants to work through the local church. 
So I wanted to share that because uh, it's so meaningful to me, and it is part of my identity and has been the identity of, of Alice and myself and our kids. And I want to inspire you, inspire you to be radical enough to believe in the local church and that giving thanks to God week by week is a good thing. And it might look boring from week to week, but the big thing is the big thing. Let's give thanks. Father in heaven, uh, we want to give thanks. Thanks for our lives. Thanks for our daily bread. Thanks for our government. Thanks for the city we live in. Thanks for this building and all of the work that's gone into building it and maintaining it and, and uh, the work that you are doing in our lives. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be submissive to your spirit and to, um, I guess, Lord, see ourselves as, as uh, beings with some strength and some confidence being anointed by you and with an ability to, to, to yield fruit. Fruit that is that's good. That's 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 attractive. That's uh, that that could be an aroma to those around us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for building this place here. Amen. Thank you.